Isaiah chapter 58 is what I want to share with you, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses or so, so you can follow that through or just listen to the words. But the focus of what I will uh, leave with you, hopefully, and hopefully God will speak through uh, these verses to each and every one of us, and so those just those two verses there, 11 and 12, but I'll be reading from a slightly different version. But from verse 1 it says this, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. <clears throat> Why have we fasted, they say, and have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and have you not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only a bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the thick kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointed finger and malicious talk, and if you spread yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a certain scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. There are so many ways, I guess, in, in hearing those words uh, uh, and the majority of the verses there that will resonate with us. We will recognise as individuals, I guess, something of the, the cry of, of the people of God when Isaiah was first penning these words. Lord, <laughs> can't you hear me? Aren't you taking notes of me? You know, I'm doing what I think you're supposed to, I'm supposed to do, but you don't seem to be answering. 
And yet that sort of unease within us that because we know that God doesn't just respond to our every whim and anticipate and cause justice from us and, and asks us as the people of God, followers of Jesus Christ in our generation, to seek first his kingdom and to live that out as best we can in and through our day-to-day lives. There's echoes that I'm sure reflect our prayers on behalf of our nation and the injustices that we see, the poverty that we recognise, the needs that are only too apparent to any one of us. We don't have to look very far to see them and be aware of them. And yet that sense that we feel that we've kind of been sort of wrenched from the anchor of the Christian values that undergirded our justice, our education, our social care systems, and all those kind of things. And yet into all that mix, God speaks not to give a particular viewpoint on the state of the nation, not to inform us how we should be responding to Brexit or otherwise, but he speaks to the people of God. And and at the heart of this, these two verses, is, is this kind of prophetic word that speaks into people's need, as it were, where we are, where we actually are, and yet speaks and breathes hope. And that word's been used quite a bit this morning already, hasn't it, in relation to uh, our own nation, uh, the engagement that we're looking for across churches of all streets and denominations in Hope 2018, uh, and marrying there, we hope, with the demonstration of Christian actions along with the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. What we've heard about Somalia land and David's uh, sort of beginning of partnership there and involvement there and, and the desperate, desperate needs. And yet, as people, the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we are the, the bringers of, the bearers of a hope that is eternal. What can I do? What can any of us do? What can Cairnthrow Baptist Church collectively do? I'm reading these verses and uh, there is that sense. You are more than you have become. You are more than you have become. Remember who you are. Isn't that what God is saying through these words to each of us as individual followers of Jesus Christ? Collectively, yes, as the people of God, as Cantro Baptist Church, you are more than you have become. Remember who you are. The Lord will guide you always. That's what it says in the NAV. You will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. These are, this is amazing. This is the message translation. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build a new. I think simply that's what I'd like us all to 
bring before the Lord as we prepare to take bread and wine this morning, as we gather, as it were, around the communion table, although we're not quite around, are we? Because the communion table's here and we're all out here, but you know what I mean. As we come to take bread and wine, we're remembering what Jesus has done for us, aren't we, as individuals, in giving himself, in dying upon a cross, giving his body that's represented in the brokenness of the bread, and allowing his blood to be shed that's represented in our sharing of the wine together. And there's that wonderful exchange that we all know about, Billy Graham has reminded us about over the years, that when we come to him as individuals, recognising our needs, the Bible says that is represented in that word sin, recognising our need, asking God to meet us in our need, to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to offer our lives to him. So that wonderful exchange takes place. Our guilt is exchanged for his forgiveness. Our shame for his shalom, his wholeness. <coughs> our need, our needs in every facet that they represented in our lives, in the awareness of our own hearts that we keep hidden from everybody else, with the fullness of his Holy Spirit. I have come that you, I might bring you life in all its fullness, both now and forevermore. These are the words of Jesus. For those words, you are more than you have become. Remember who you are. I wrote those down because I was remembering watching the, watching the Lion King and listening to that. My son, who's just 30 next month, has just taken his fiancée up to London to watch it. It's still going on. And I was grateful that um, our children were little, otherwise I might have missed out on it. Undoubtedly one of the best Disney films ever, in my opinion, but much better on stage. But for those of you who don't know the story, Simba, he's the lion cub, the hero at the end of the day, but um, he at this point has rejected his father who has died and the kingdom that he was the heir apparent of. And so the kingship has gone to the evil uncle and Simba, the lion cub, Basically, he takes that philosophy, seeing all the evil that is growing and rampant around him, takes the philosophy, as those of you who will know the songs, Makuna Matata, no worries. Just let everybody get on and please themselves. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's not Simba, that's elsewhere. <laughs> but um, he basically looks upon life and says, well, sometimes bad things happen and there is nothing you can do about it. I mean, David, you could have come back from Somalia with that, easily. And no one would have thought any the worse of you. Thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. And I guess any one of us can take that view with the network of people that we rub shoulders with week by week. Because we'll be aware, we'll be listening to them, we'll be picking up signs of their need. 
And I guess we walk away from any conversation as I do, thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. And yet we fail to realise that we can be the answer to the prayers of the people around us. The majority of people in this country acknowledge they pray. They don't know who to, but they pray. And what do they pray for? They pray for the same things we know are found in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't they? They pray for their needs to be met, their need of hope, their need of joy that goes beyond the next diagnosis. They pray for love that has been so misrepresented in the majority of people's lives, etc. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of involvement with the people of God. Well, the simpler gets frustrated. Sometimes bad things happen, there's nothing you can do about it. And he blames his now dead father. Just, I think the story, the story is, is interesting. I found the first time I, I heard it, it was sort of twin tracks really. I was watching a cartoon, I think, originally. But at the same time, I was hearing the words of, of the Bible. And I was hearing the echoes in my own heart because this is what Simba says. He says, blaming his dead father, you promised you'd always be there for me, but you're not. And of course, that's how this chapter in Isaiah begins, isn't it? The people of God saying, where are you? We've prayed, we've fasted, but you have not delivered. I wouldn't be the only person who would honestly put their hand up and say they have used words or similar before God in some of the darker episodes of our lives. Well, it steps the crazy old baboon who says he can show Simba his dead father, the vassal. He takes him out to a pool in the desert and he points to the water, but Simba can only see his own reflection. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes when I come before God, accusingly, that's what I see, actually. When I point the finger, I find that God has that knack of, maybe through the words of Scripture, or maybe just for that sense, that heart-to-heart encounter with Him, seeing that actually, no, that's not my place. That's not my place to say, what on earth do you mean? reading these words and similar words. My place is to say, <laughs> what, what, what do they mean in me? What are you asking me for? What are you asking me of? And Rafika, the old baboon, says, no, look harder. And this time Simba looks and he sees not his own reflection, but a reflection of his father. And he hears these words, you see, he lives in you. He lives in you. So we read here in Isaiah, the Lord will always guide you. And we read and hear from Jesus, I will be with you. Always. Always. To the very end of the age. Simba doesn't like that. He runs from it. I wonder whether some of us are running from God this morning. We just need to get round this communion table and actually recognise that we've been running we need to stop running 
And it may not be with all that we are and all that we've become, but we're running in part away from God because Simba hears those words, you have forgotten who you are, as it were his dead father speaking to him in his case, you have forgotten who you are and so you have forgotten me. Look inside yourself Simba, you are more than you have become. So three questions really. And I suggest you pick one of them when you take the red wine. And you use that for your exchange. Whichever represents your greatest need this morning when we share in a few moments time. Will I place my faith in God again? For where? I do not know. That's the promise that we hear from Isaiah. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life. This is the interesting bit, isn't it? In the emptiest of places. I heard last night the King's Speech is going to be on TV in the next few days again. Um, but uh, the poem was the heart of of that speech um, in terms of the story of George VI and needing to deal with his own speech impediment, but as it were, find his voice. It's a very interesting film, very interesting metaphor. It's literally his voice, but it was to find his voice to be able to speak. And that poem, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness Put your hand into the hand of God, that shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. <laughs> On one level that makes no sense, but it will make very real sense to the majority of you here this morning because you will have your own story of having known God in the emptiest of places. And it may just be that you are in the emptiest of place, maybe not in the whole of life, but in one facet of your life this morning. And that's the exchange you need desperately this morning. And the exchange is not that you're suddenly transformed and translated away from the emptiest of places, but that you discover that Jesus Christ, through cross and resurrection, is actually there with you. I was one of our churches recently and they did a sort of, you know, any news kind of thing and a guy called John came out and uh, he just shared, he, he got two sons, I'm just reading my notes here because it gets a bit, you know, I wouldn't remember it otherwise, but he got two sons and, and just recently he said he found one in a coma uh, a few months ago and he told this story of how he had to go around to the house and, and all the serious health issues he'd still got to overcome but he was just thankful his son hadn't died. The other son was in prison. Um, and this guy who had come to find the reality of God through Jesus Christ relatively recently, I think within the recent years, as far as I can, it was just interesting that he was there. He, he wasn't saying that he, either son, their situations had been transformed. He wasn't saying that his anxiety had been totally lifted. 
But he was just coming out and saying, this is really, really tough. But I thank this fellowship, it was at Nailsley, uh, for praying for me and my sons in this situation. That has made the world a difference. And he was just out front saying, giving thanks basically, that he knew that despite everything, God was with him. And I came away from thinking, that feels like the emptiest of places to me. Second question, and it might be this, will I place my loving again in God for what I thought I'd become? There's no time to go into the, the need we have to love and be loved, the way in which God has created us all to love and be loved, and the ways in which that has been mistranslated and misapplied in so many lives. We'll all have degrees of awareness and experience of how the image of God in us has become grown over, distorted in certain ways, misrepresented, and how that image is in every human being, however clearly or unclearly we are able to see it. But life can have that draining effect, can't it, an impact, so that we come to receive again of the love of God when we take bread and wine and say, Lord Jesus, I receive your love into the deepest part of my life and being, but actually we've got little confidence or trust or belief that that is what's going to happen. And sometimes I find very often when you talk to people for any length of time, it's because we've given up on ourselves. It's because we don't believe we are worthy of the love that God declares over us. And the word of God, I think, to you, if you're in that place, is to make that exchange that is described here. Use the rubble of past lives to build a new the Corrie Ten Boom story. I don't know whether everyone's as old as me to know the story of Corrie Ten Boom, but I went to see it performed on stage down in Wells, a little tiny theatre uh, down in Wells just a few weeks ago. And there was that wonderful quote, the story of Corrie and her sister who were uh, incarcerated. Her sister died in a Nazi concentration camp as a result of sheltering Jews during the Second World War. And they came to understand that there was the phrase, the sentence I think is, there is no pit that God's love, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I wonder whether you dare make that exchange and just come before God and say, look, I am poor in spirit. I am desperate to know the reality of the love of Christ right now, right here. And make that exchange. And the third final question, will I place my hope in God again? For what is beyond my ability? 
Verse 11, make the community livable again. I find that interesting. It's a call for individuals to invest their hope in God that through people like us individually, not simply that our lives will begin to reflect more of the likeness of Jesus Christ, but the community will become livable again. It's all wrapped up in the, the picture language and uh, just like the, this, the war that you were describing, David, and the way the rubble is still in the streets and all around it. So that was Jerusalem. And the rubble was there to be seen and they were waiting, they were calling their individuals to take the rubble and build it back into the stones, the buildings, the walls of Jerusalem to effectively remake the streets. Is that your exchange this morning? That you've effectively lost hope because your eyes are focused on the rubble. Maybe your life. Maybe somebody else's life. And you need to exchange that for the hope of God.